Hello and welcome to another edition of The Tigers Down Under. I'm your host, as always, Alex, and with me for the first time this season, we have Logan. Uh, good day, Alex, and uh, in the, the Tiger Nation, oh, it's good to be back. Um, it's good to have you. We've got a couple of games to get through. We didn't record an episode last week, so we're going to catch up by running through both the uh, the Stoke City game last weekend, the well, the weekend before, I should say, then the Derby game in the Cup midweek, and then the weekend just gone, um, another loss to Derby. So it's it's three losses, but I guess a little bit of a different mood um, in discussing each of them. Um, we'll start with the Stoke game, and I guess in talking about this, I'll also get your thoughts on, on the season so far, because we haven't had you on yet. Um, to me, the Stoke game was almost the most disappointing or the most worrying loss of the season because just of the manner in which we played and the fact as a league game, there was a lot more riding on it than, I mean, we'll talk about that 4-0 loss to Derby in the Cup in a bit, but the Stoke game to me was almost almost the more concerning and, and really sort of um, after a sort of a bright start to the season or at least a promising start, it's, it's starting to slip away a little bit. Um, I don't know what your thoughts were for the Stoke game. Yeah, exactly. The same thing. I think that Stoke are one of those teams that um, I, I guess we've kind of become accustomed to when the, the bigger teams, I guess, come to come to play or um, we get matched up with some of those, you know, newly relegated relegated clubs rather or, or teams that have a bit more of a profile. Uh, you kind of fancy us to at least turn up in those matches and, and put in some kind of resilient performance. And um, we were just overwhelmed in, in every aspect. And I think from the moment Stoke scored early, you couldn't really see a way back into the game. Uh, then Evandre getting sent off as well, uh, it, it really did just uh, not do a lot to kind of uh, quash the, uh, I guess, the uh, very pessimistic views that have kind of been experienced with the just the natural, um, you know, down down feeling that, that is currently plaguing the club. Yeah, and you make a good point there about we always sort of raise our game against those big teams. And I think I touched on it with Dan in our last episode that, it was almost an opportunity that Stoke were on a really poor run of form. Like, let's not forget that was their first win of the season against us. Um, and I think they've gone out in the most recent game and lost to West Brom. So they're not, they haven't started the season like a house on fire. They're not the traditional sort of relegated side who are going out and, and, you know, winning every game and on track for a hundred points. They, they were in real trouble. Gary Rowett's looking in real trouble as their manager and, and they were really ripe for the picking. Um, it made it three. Well, sorry, it might've, uh, might have been two home losses in a row to start the season and then the loss to Derby on the weekend was the third. But um, like you say, I, I mean, in the past, we've had, when we got relegated under Bruce, we then had, you know, Burnleys and Middlesbroughs and, and those sorts come to the KCOM and we would bat them aside 3-0 or we would at least put up a very good showing against them um, and it just wasn't there against Stoke. And it was really kind of concerning from my point of view that, like you said, the, the red card to Evandro in particular, you start to see that ill-discipline creeping in when players drop their heads and they start to lose hope in the game. Um, and in, in fairness to him, it's two pretty... Uh, I mean, they're yellow cards. They're not like Let's not debate it um, whether they were fouls or not, but very kind of um, niggly sort of fouls rather than anything particularly vicious or particularly, you know, it wasn't a handball on the line or, or anything like that or a headbutt or anything like that. Um so it's a bit frustrating from that point of view, and and it's sort of all the hallmarks of, of a side that's getting pretty frustrated with the way that we're playing the game. Um, and again, I mean, amazingly, we have to give credit where it's due, but David Marshall is starting to have actually quite a good season after starting the first game the way we were sort of thinking he was going to play. Um, he's actually come out and had a few pretty good games for City. 
yeah, if there was a positive to take from that game, it, certainly you know, David Marshall, he, he's the, the one kind of bright, shining light. And um, as you said, to, to bounce back from the uh, <laughs> very uh, very disappointing opening performances from him, and he's was, he was certainly under fire um, when, we, when we made a new signing of, uh, of the, the Sheffield keeper as well. And so for him to uh, come out and, and lift it with a performance like that in a, in a very disappointing game, it certainly did a, a lot to kind of, um, I guess, repay the trust that um, once kind of uh, existed with the, the playing around David Marshall, who was uh, such a kind of high-profile keeper. And uh, we remember well because he was the person who was keeping uh, Alan McGregor out of the, the Scotland uh, international side as well. Well, so, exactly. And and when he signed for us from Cardiff, he was sort of touted as our, as our saviour in a way because McGregor was out with a long-term injury. We had Jakubovic in goal who was still um, yet to win over most of the fans. And Marshall basically came in as this great keeper who had this great Premier League season with Cardiff. Um, and he was going to replicate that for us, and it's just never got going for him, and, and maybe it finally is. I actually remember reading an article about how aggrieved the, uh, the, some of the Cardiff fans were when David Marshall was let, uh, let go, and uh, speaking about the, the lack of ambition that uh, if they're going to let a keeper of his calibre go, it kind of shows that they're happy to just uh, spiral into this championship monotony and, uh, and never really challenge. And uh, what a difference 12 months can make when you when you look at the, the heights that Cardiff have now reached. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the game against Derby it was a bit more concerning in a few different ways. Um, the League Cup fixture, um, both on and off the field, I think it was the lowest ever attendance at the KCOM, um, our lowest in general in quite some time. Uh, and then, of course, the, the matter of losing 4-0 on the field. And uh, I guess the, the positives and negatives out of having quite a few youngsters on the field, I think four um, under-23 players were on the field at one point. Um, positive being it's great to see these guys coming through and actually playing for the first team, but the obvious negative being that it's just showing how thin we are in some areas, how... Um, desperately lacking in players we are, or, or perhaps we were before the window shut. That That's something to discuss in a little bit. Um, but the, the, the other concerning aspect from my point of view was the fact that after the game, Adkins didn't give uh, an interview with Burnsy, um, and a lot of signs of stress and strain started to show with Adkins, who, I, I mean, I saw, a, I think it was a tweet about the fact that in 12 months we've t- taken two of the most positive managers in, in Slutsky and Adkins and <laughs> turned them into very pessimistic or upset uh, individuals. So um, I guess I, I'll get your thoughts on, on the game itself and then also um, what you're making of these sorts of signs off the field in, in terms of Adkins. Well, I think you, you touched on it. The horror showing in the 4-0 loss was, uh, was firstly disappointing. Uh, and, and I guess that when you when you think about it, the League Cup is certainly not uh, something that w- with the squad that we've got that we look to probably go deep in anyway. So I guess the fact that we're out of it in, in many ways will probably serve more of a favour uh, in, in, in our bid to kind of stay in this division, uh, if anything. I thought that the the 4,000 in attendance crowd um, from some of the pitches, and I guess uh, not being there, it's, it's hard to judge, but it didn't even look a shade close to 4,000, I think, <laughs> even those numbers were fudged, and that's something that we've uh, become very accustomed to uh, at, at the KCOM under the Alab administration. Um, but uh, as you mentioned, I think taking uh, <laughs> taking those two examples of, of Slutsky and, um, and Nigel Atkins is one thing, but 
you also now need to think about the, um, I guess, the strain that uh, the feeling experience that Steve Bruce experienced. Uh, basically, it's now, and not that we need any more kind of reason to prove that the arms are the common denominator, uh, but it is. It's it's serving as a as a fact that everyone who has any kind of interaction with them. Uh, ends up losing their, their optimism and, uh, and joy for, for the particular role that is um, the, the managerial position at City at the moment. Um, I, I think that we're very lucky in the sense that Nigel Atkins is an extremely um, optimistic man. And, and in fact, sometimes it's it's frustrating to hear uh, the optimism <laughs> he, he comes out with when uh, when you've been on the receiving end of a, an absolute battering. You'd kind as long of rather... as the warm-up's good. <laughs> that's 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 right and and comments like that is kind of what we're we're now starting to uh get used to in the way that the, the way that he kind of conducts himself and yeah. sometimes you want to hear that public shaming of, of the players in in some ways just to fulfill your uh you know the, the emotions that uh i guess come straight after game day yeah uh, I'm, I, I mean it's interesting with adkins sorry just to touch on that point it's interesting that he he very much picks and chooses his targets because I think the only player I can think of that he's ever really gave a public sort of dressing down to is Angus McDonald, which seems utterly strange. And I think it was Phil Buckingham from um, the Hull Daily Mail who made that point where he sort of said it's very odd the way that he, he – well, it's, it's a very odd relationship the two have. And maybe it's what works for McDonald that he's actually said to Atkins, you know what, that's how I respond to criticism best is when you make it public and that really revs me up. So maybe that's why Atkins does it. But – you're right. I mean, he's he's in general so utterly positive, which is, I guess, that's why that instance came to my mind because I thought it's just the one example I can think of that's that's um, completely out of character almost. And and for that reason, I think that whilst there is all this uh, kind of immediate speculation is how much longer can Nigel Atkins uh, deal with being uh, under the reins of, of, of these complete buffoons, uh, I think that he probably offers um, something that we, we don't really, uh, or I guess in football is not necessarily the most uh, common thing these days, and that is a, a level of resilience that um, probably he may be the only person um, in the in the division as far as managers go that would be willing to tolerate, um, you know, e- exactly what has been kind of all the cards that have been dealt um, to him. I mean, we had a, a few small wins in the, the transfer window, um, which came as uh, somewhat of a surprise. But I think that despite there is, uh, that, as I said, that mention, that speculation of whether Atkins will stay or whether he will go, uh, I don't think that he's, he's ready to, to just jump ship uh, just yet. I mean, I, I want to touch on that point you made about his resilience and the fact he'd be one of the few in the division to take on this challenge. Because I did want to ask if, if there is that small element of well, he knew what he was getting into when he became our manager late last season or mid last season. Um, because, of course, he was in the stands for a couple of games whilst Lutsky was still our manager. And he saw the conditions of the club, of the attitude towards the, the owners, uh, of the attitude amongst the fans in the stadium, all that sort of thing. Um, so it's not as if, I mean, you, you'd give some slack to, for instance, Marco Silva because he wanted to get a foothold in the Premier League. You'd give some slack to Slatsky because he just wanted to get a job in England and make a name for himself and give it a go. Adkins, though, he's been around the bush for a few different clubs now. He knows the league. He knows the club. Um, and he, he wasn't desperate for a job in the sense that, you know, he, he, he's not sort of jumping at the first opportunity to make a name for himself. He, he has that reputation. Um, so the fact that he still took the job on, to me, seems a little bit, I mean, I, I, I struggle. It's funny because, I mean, 
you see so many comments on on social media about Adkins and being overly um, positive and, and sickeningly, sickeningly sweet. And it does make me sort of struggle to be too sympathetic to him. I guess if he was a bit more of a pessimistic manager, it might make you a bit more sympathetic to him because you kind of feel sorry for him and he's a bit downbeat. The fact that he's so cheery and always happy to get going and look for the positive side of things, I I sometimes struggle to feel a bit sympathetic for him. But, you know, I guess it's a bit like with Slutsky. If If he does get broken like he seems to be getting against Derby in this cup match, that's when you kind of start to think, geez, you know, how bad must it be if this bloke who, who's generally so upbeat about everything, even he's kind of given up on it? And if there is a positive in all of this, um, I think what we do have to do is take a step back and look at Nigel Atkins now and the side that he is in charge of. And it's a very young side and it has a few old wiser heads in the, in the form of uh, Fraser Campbell and Evandro. Um, I mean, it's it's crazy to think that Marcus Hen- Hendrickson is one of our most senior players, and yeah. obviously he's given the, the captaincy role. But if if there is anything that you can take away from it, Nigel Atkins might be patting himself on the back and giving himself the the individual pep talks and just saying, uh, I do still have um, you know a, a young squad that I, I am able to work with, and you just don't know how much you're able to get out of those uh, people. If it was kind of a an old rotting squad with um, you know people who had been there for so long and were just kind of stealing a living, and uh, were, were liked by the club and supported and endeared to you know the fans that they you can't get rid of those players because they're somewhat cold heroes, you may have more of an uphill battle. But from a management perspective, I think that that's probably the angle he's coming at it from that uh, he's happy to kind of play the waiting game and, and somewhat solidify um, and, and foster these younger guys along and help them to grow into their roles as, as senior senior footballers. Um, well, you touched on a little bit earlier as well, the fact we did end up making a couple of deadline day signings and we'll have our special, um, as we usually do, transfer window wrap-up um, released later this week where we'll have a look at basically all of our signings and departures over the course of the window and sort of you know, give a rating on, on the players who've played a few games, give an assessment of the players who've come in late, um, all that sort of thing. But I'll, I'll just get an overview at the moment from you um, on what your take is on the two signings we made in Tommy Elphick and also Chris Martin. Um, you know, a, a, an experienced, level-headed centre-back is probably someone we definitely needed the way that we've been playing. Uh, and then also a striker who didn't have a great season last year, but apart from that, has has really been quite prolific for Derby. I think he's hit double figures in four of his last five seasons or um, something close to that. Um, as the two incomings, I'll get your thoughts on those, but then also on the fact that we've kept hold of Grzycki, who really, you know, it's the old football cliche, but he really could be like a new signing if he can come back into the squad, get his head down and start performing the way we know he can. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that uh, you, you, you've given it away in that in that sense. That Krizicki is certainly um, he he is, uh, and, and I obviously will come from a biased perspective because of what we did see of uh, Krizicki in the in the Premier League season, particularly under Silver, and we made that kind of last ditch effort to to stay up. and And I thought he was an unbelievable um, addition to the squad at that time, and I still believe that. He has the ability to be the best player in the division, in the championship. And I think that uh, it's more of a mental thing for, for him at the moment. And I think he's going to be happy to buy his time. But uh, as, as we've said, and I think we've, we've mentioned it on the podcast uh, many times before, is if Grzycki does want to get himself in that shop window, he needs to start playing good football along, along the way. Because even that move to Turkey, it's, it's not what you would call a high-profile move. 
um, you'd kind of be hoping, I think where he would be hoping to find himself in a, a, a relegation-threatened Premier League side at, at the very least. And the fact that he's still lingering down here and is somewhat seemingly hard to, to get rid of, um, I think that he needs to uh, kind of look at the situation and, and realise that if he plays his best football uh, between now and January, that's his best chance of a, of a decent move away. And and for us at this certain amount of or point in time, uh, that would be a huge, huge win. So uh, it's I guess it's Nigel Atkins' job to, to, to get him uh, back into the setup and, and get him with his head right. But he will certainly be um, a huge thing. I think that is the biggest thing of the window, the fact that we have held on to him. <clears throat> Chris Martin's a player that I'd like. Um, he, somewhat erratic at times, and he's certainly not the most polished striker. But as you mentioned, his goal-scoring record at Derby for the last uh, few seasons is certainly a credible one. And I think that uh, all you've got to do is, is look at our team on paper. And uh, particularly if you, you watch the Derby game on the weekend, uh, a lot of chances we're begging you to have someone like him come into the setup who is a proven goal scorer. I think he's fantastic. Um, and then, as you mentioned as well, with Tommy Elphick, an experienced centre back, um, you can never have enough of those in the championship. But particularly with with the young squad that we have, and I guess the defensive mishaps that seem to be closely related to this team and seem to be reoccurring far too often. So. I think uh, very astute signings in, in Chris Martin and Elphick, um, albeit two loan deals, which I guess we're always expecting. Uh, but yeah, considering what it could have been, and I guess at the start of last week, how we were feeling it was going to be, where there was you know strong word that nothing was going to happen, I think it's um, it's not such a bad loan window in the end of in the end of it all. Yeah, not too bad at all. Um, the uh, defensive mishaps that you sort of referenced there seem to continue to plague us in our game against Derby on the weekend um, as we met them for a second time in the space of a couple of days. This was sort of a as much of a, an optimistic end to the week as you could have considering it's three losses in a row. Um, and as I touched on before, I think it made it an equal record um, five losses in a row at home, I believe. I don't know if that was the record or if it's just the, th- the three losses to start the season. Um but, yeah, Device giving away the penalty in the first half with a pretty sloppy penalty. Um, it, it's just another probable, probably um, costly error that, that he's made, which really, he's one of those players that you sort of want to back because he looks like he could be a great player. He's got that range of passing. He's got the physicality. But he just doesn't seem to be able to put it all together and, and maybe it'll click at some point. But... Um, if I was to if I was to guess, I would think that Elphick's probably going to come into the side to replace him for our next game. Um, but then, on the other hand, in terms of our signings, we've got Todd Kane, who, who's really, really had an impressive start to his time with City. Um, it's just a loan deal, but he's in his last year of his Chelsea deal, so who knows what could happen end of this season. But great equaliser from him, set up by Evandro, who's also having a great season, um, apart from that red card um, against Stoke last time out in the league. But even though we, we lost the game, I think even Lampard said after the game we were really stiff not to get something out of it. And um, there were, you know, for most of that second half, a, a number of chances for us to take the lead in that game. So really sort of a positive display in the end um, to kind of cap off a, a pretty uh, glum week. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, um, it's probably the most positive loss that we could have asked um, in a quality side in Derby uh, visiting the KCOM. Uh, in in the past, I guess we would have been uh, pretty disappointed to to not take all three points, and and that feeling is is still there that we didn't take three points on the weekend. But 
as you mentioned, that the the performance itself probably warranted more. Um, I, I was talking to you off air before, um, and and as we kind of mentioned, it's when Derby were good in that game, they were really good, and when we were good, we were really good, but just didn't end up having that end product. So, uh, very disappointing loss in the in the sense that the goal came very late in the game and probably doesn't do anything uh, do anything to help our confidence, knowing that we go into the international break, but. Um, I guess the the matter from from the fans' perspective is we certainly saw a, a new and improved city uh, certainly from the performance at, um, against Derby earlier in the week in the cup and also in the previous week against Stoke. So um, uh, there is there is some positives to take away from that game, and I think that given the the new signings coming in and Grzyki staying, uh, it, it gives us a lot to build on uh, when we do return to action after the international break. Uh, one player I wanted to touch on that we haven't really spoken about um, who was such a leading light for us last season was Jared Bowen. And I wanted to get your thoughts on his form so far this season, not just um, in the games, I guess, in the last week or so. Um, are you concerned at all with the way he started the season or do you look at, at it more as if he, he still sort of, he seems to be getting into those dangerous chances. He's still uh, in dangerous positions. He's still creating the chances. Um, he hasn't managed to put any away so far. Um, are you concerned at all that he started the season a bit slowly or, or is that sort of expected, I guess, when it's his second senior season, I guess you would say, um, there's obviously a lot more expectation on him to recreate those goals that he scored last season. Um, it might just take him a bit of time to get going. Yeah, I, I think that whilst it's concerning in the sense that, of course, we're always when our, our goal scorer is scoring, I think that, uh, as you you touched on, uh, Jared Bowen is, is still an incredibly young uh, player in our setup, and he kind of almost came into the fold um, unexpectedly last year and, and had such an incredible uh, start to the year and, and couldn't stop scoring. And I think that for us to kind of keep that expectation on him is, is somewhat um, unfair, but I think that he probably still will end up chipping in with a reasonable amount of goals. I think that it's a, more of a case of if he gets one, uh, he'll refine that confidence. But uh, the other thing that we, we kind of have to remember is if you look at the, the goals that are being conceded at the other end, like he hasn't actually been getting, with the exception of the derby game, he hasn't had the, the same amount of chances created. He hasn't had those clear-cut um, opportunities where you know where we're kind of dictating the game and and having 20 shots on goal or anything like that. So the service is is certainly um, is certainly not there uh, in in the same light that it probably was at the beginning of last season, albeit um, a disappointing beginning as well. I, I just think that Jared Bowen, uh, once he gets he finds himself with a goal and finds himself in a in a couple of games in a row where he does get a few more chances. I think we'll see um, much much similar uh, form from him that what we, we experienced last year. And then, so what, what are your thoughts on Kane's start to the season? Do you think there's a, a prospect that we could you know, look to sign him on a permanent deal coming out of this season? He's certainly started it quite well. I think he certainly looks like, as you mentioned, he's, he's got some very promising attributes and also the goal on the weekend's uh, not going to do anything to, to kind of storm his, his claws. But... Um, the the one thing uh, I still remember years ago, um, it was uh, Jay Simpson. I think he might have oh, yeah. five goals in in five games, or he had an incredibly pro- prolific start. And and City fans were calling for him to get signed up, and and Steve Bruce kind of said to to hold off and let's wait and see. And um and after that, I don't think he scored, or he might have got one goal between then and and the rest of the year, and he didn't end up picking up a contract. I think that. Particularly when you've got, if there are any benefits in the loan in these loan deals, 
Um, look, Todd Kane may be a player that um, that does suit the city setup and and will grow into himself. And we may be talking in the January transfer uh, transfer window about what a great half of the season he's had and how we we kind of need to get him on the book straight away and uh, what a great addition he would be. Uh, but right now, I think that while this team is is very much a new uh, new team overall with an extremely inexperienced kind of um, lineup as far as the championship goes, I think that it's one of those ones that we'll just wait on and see how much he grows into his role. We'll wait on it indeed, and we'll uh, have a wait until after the international break to see City back in action again. Um, but between now and then, we will have our uh, winter transfer window wrap up and then our previews of our next game uh, which will release around this time next week probably give or take a few days Um, but until next time thank you for coming on Logan. Not a problem. And thank you everyone for listening in. Hopefully you've enjoyed this episode of the Tigers Down Under and we'll see you next time. Until then, come on City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast. For more discussion, join us on Facebook in the Hull City AFC Australian Supporters Group or follow us on Twitter, at Hull City AFC Oz. The music was created by Amber and Black.